politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back one and all to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today to fight for all of it on the line. Life, liberty, property, civilization, culture, and survival. Uh, You would hope that once Halloween is over with, we could go back with our lives. But we are living a perpetual nightmare here. Um, We are living through times where we need serious solutions to serious questions. What do we do? Where do we go? Our economy, our security, our sovereignty, culture, our way of life, it's all under attack. And yet we have Republicans in Congress just bean counting with foreign aid and you know what they want to fund and offset. We have the worst massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. And it's not an attack on Jews. It's an attack really on the West and actually very much insinuated towards white people. And we're going to face that as the cartels reach critical mass, as the illegal aliens, as the Muslim immigrants, both through the border, both letting through visas, reach critical mass. We need serious solutions. And yet, I'm watching this morning, the entirety of the Trump campaign is dealing with Ron DeSantis' height and the boots he wears I mean, all right, you know, you start off as a joke, you rib some sort of appearance about, uh, 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 you know, about your opponent. That's normal in politics, but it's gotten to the point where it's, I mean, it's like 48 hours on this. We are just not a serious people. We need a two-state solution right here in America. See, there's ultimately going to be a two-state solution, heaven and hell. But the question is, can we achieve it? On this earth? Can we separate ourselves from this? You cannot share a country with people who believe in their own demise and our demise with it. Destroy our food and fuel, poison us with biomedical security, endless inflation, destroying the family, marriage, preventing us from remaining as sentient human beings, no borders, war on whites, criminal is victim, victim is criminal, terrorists are great. A man's a woman. The problem is we have several challenges with creating a uh, you know red state sanctuary. Number one, Republicans are just as bad in all these states, or most of them, so we don't have m- many places to go. You also have problems with the economy. The economy is all melded together. We're all, we're all on the hook for the Venezuelan-style crash that we're headed towards. And then number three is, I mean, they're demographically rapidly changing red states as well. I mean, you look at Texas, any any uh, two-state solution, whether it's formal or de facto, would involve Texas being on the right side of it. But, I mean, Houston is done. So we cannot allow a critical mass of illegals and Islamists to gain a foothold in red states. And our first goal after the October 7th attacks in Israel should have been, as I said at the time, the first thing I said, it's like, look, this is what happens when a Western government collapses, as it did there. They have a 32-mile border with savages. We have a 2,000-mile border. What are we doing? And yet Republicans aren't even talking about it. Their first thing should have been legislation standalone, but also in the budget bill, making it clear 
that they will defund Biden's CBP-1 app, the catch and release, allow states to deport, cut off all Muslim immigration. Instead, Republicans are responding the way they always do. As I warned yesterday, it's all about throwing money at a problem. And look, there is nobody more pro-Israel than I am. I, I believe that this is the nexus of Western civilization's survival. The fight between Israel and jihad is the canary in the coal mine. Because, again, it's it's not just there. It's here. It's everywhere. It's in Europe. It's in America. It's in Latin America, as we talked about last week. But the... Throwing $14.5 billion at Israel under the current policies of the Biden administration are like giving into – because Biden in the same proposal also wants border funding. Should we give him – should we give DHS another $20-$50 billion for border security? No. As you well know, that's going to be used for catch and release. This is the same thing here. Yeah, you'll grease the skids for Lockheed Martin a little bit more to get some more money. But ultimately, it will be used to blackmail them to commit suicide. Again, so yesterday I talked about how it needs to be more about defunding Israel's enemies. But I want to bring it back to our you know, security too. The first response should be making sure we don't share that same future. And again, I mean, you look at these pictures and videos with them marching. And it used to be they were almost all Latin American, but you had a you know couple of extra continentals here and there. You're now seeing sometimes the majority of these caravans increasingly from North Africa. Senegal, places like that, they're all Muslim. Think about the experience we've had in Minneapolis and Columbus and Lewiston, Maine. With the Somalis. I mean, you have no idea. We, we, we don't hear about them. They just disappear. But they go into the country. Over time, they reach critical mass. And before you know it, you have the European dynamic, which we're halfway there. When I remember when the, when the Intifada began in Israel uh, about 20 years ago, you saw all these crazy protests in Europe. We, we really didn't have much. couple clowns here and there. And now it's gotten big. We now have, if you just look at one year worth, CBP announced that they released 908,000 into the country. Openly released them. 908,000. Plus, Center for Immigration Studies, and we're going to have Todd Benzman on in, in uh, a couple minutes, they paroled another 221,000 through the CBP-1 app. plus 226,000 who applied at the land borders. So you add that up, that's 1.4 million in one year, and that doesn't include the gotaways. Those are the one. Think about this. We allow in about a million new immigrants every year, extremely, you know, it's a, it's a lot, every single year. And that's authorized by Congress, needs to be fixed. But that's authorized by statute. The Biden administration has openly let in more people illegally than our entire insanely large legal immigration system in one year. 
and then you add the gotaways, just looking at the rate of gotaways per month uh, based on CBP's own calculations, which are likely lowballing because that's the known gotaways, is probably about 700,000 per year. So that will put you over 2 million people. Look at the pictures of these people. Predominantly military-aged men at a minimum, very impoverished, very foreign to our culture. Many of them bring with them the Islamic stuff or the third world sort of anti-Semitism. And this is what we have. This is what we're facing. And there's no sense of urgency. So Republicans are pushing this thing, uh, $14.5 billion. Now, Chip Roy got the speaker to at least agree to offset it with repealing the IRS stuff in the Green New Deal, you know, the IRS cuts. So, look, I think under the circumstances, that was the best he could do to try to slow walk this. But here's the problem. I mean, first of all, we need to so severely cut things that you can't have new spending and say, oh, we'll offset it. Well, if you have offsets, that should be used, you know, that should be baked into the cake for the spending cuts we need. We're bankrupt. Again, I mean, even if Israel needs weapons, you could sell it to them at a discount. But I'm just telling you, from a pro-Israel standpoint, you go and you give this amount of money for the Biden administration to hold over them, they'll commit suicide. They're going to get Israel to commit suicide. Their first bill should have been cutting off aid to the PA, to Hamas, the Lebanese Armed Forces, to UNRWA, and our own border. It needlessly will divide the right, needlessly will, you know, this increasing secular reactionary right that's growing to be anti-Israel and you know, all that stuff. They're going to use this as another excuse to say, oh, Israel's no different than Ukraine. It's just stupid from, from all standpoints. And, you know, there's one thing if they stand behind this, but my concern is that ultimately, obviously the Biden administration right away said it's a non-starter. Schumer said it's a non-starter. And then they'll they'll give in. And then you won't have the offsets. And then you'll have Ukraine spending. Republicans need to show Biden that they that in terms of the pro-Israel initiatives, they care more about A, making sure we don't become like Israel's security problem, and B, that we don't fund Israel's enemies and we don't hamstring them more than we have a desire just to send them more money and weapons as, as an end to itself. They have to be willing to at least shoot the hostage and say, hey, Biden— you know, look, we're all for Israel, but you're not. We're more after your policies. Okay, here's $14.5 billion. We're going to pay for it with the IRS cuts. Oh, you balk at it? Then fine. Then we're going to move on to other legislation that we're going to ensconce in the budget bill. Never move from a red line drawn in the sand on November 18th when the budget funding runs out. No funding for the Palestinians. Again, Palestinians actually means Jews, but whatever. No funding for the Arabs squatting in that area. No funding for the Lebanese Armed Forces. And the entirety of Biden's catch and release needs to be defunded. That's not the message I'm hearing. 
And again, it just needlessly divides us. Now, obviously, as we struggle to find some modicum of leadership to take this seriously, and as the Trump people just focus on, um, is, is Ron DeSantis 5'9", 5'10", or 5'11", we need to protect ourselves. You know, part of being a fake conservative in terms of Second Amendment is obsessing about guns and then not knowing how to actually draw from a holster and defend yourself. That's why I recommend joining me. If those of you who always wondered, who is the man behind this microphone? You could meet me the week of December 18th for a four-day handgun defensive or constitutional defensive handgun course in Fredericksburg, Texas. God's country there. They're beautiful Texas Hill Country at their campus where you'll learn all your handgun skills, how to draw from a holster, clear malfunctions, marksmanship, safety awareness, and how to win a gunfight. Go to patriotacademy.com slash Daniel where you could register a $2,000 course for just 400 bucks. Uh, we got a lot of retirees. We got a lot of people living in Texas. Short hop over there. Um, that way you could bring all your ammo with you if you're flying. It's better just to buy it there from Patriot Academy. Um... One day we do hope to get donors to pay for that as well. Right now, that that's probably the biggest cost is the ammo. Um, but in terms of the you know all the details, what you need to bring, the holster, the mag pouch, the number of magazines, and ammo, it's all there at patriotacademy.com/daniel. Uh, and this is both for first timers. It, it's a really amazing how they do it because. The same people, you could have a person that, that never fired a gun, and you could have a person that's all into guns and even took the course one or two times before, and you will always – look, you could always get quicker. You could always get more accurate. Every time I learn more, it's my seventh time doing it. So, again, spots are limited, but there still is more left. So register today at patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. So, folks, what are we going to do? Where are we? Where are we headed? Where are we going to? Make no mistake about it. There's a reason. If you notice, you would think just as a coincidence, if you have an open border to everyone, 150 countries, you'll have white people coming over. Notice you never do. It's done by design. Like, too many people don't like focusing on race because we don't want to. Why should we? But at some point, you have to realize the left is dead serious when they want to replace white people. It's part of the BLM agenda. It's part of this decolonization moniker. And really, it, it is a big part of the Hamas stuff as well. Take a listen to this minute clip from Ireland's Prime Minister, Leo, um, what's his name? Leo Vradker, on explaining what they need to do within their country. But it's true here as well. Never heard of this guy, but uh, take a, take a listen here. Um, one thing I strongly agree with the deputy on is the need to target, set a target to have a, a number of people from ethnic minorities in areas of the public service. We have a health service that's very diverse, although less so as you go up towards the senior positions, uh, not so much in the Gardaí, not so much in the defence forces, not so much in the education sector, as the deputy mentioned, not at all in the civil service, which is very white including the Department of Equality, for example, uh, and that actually needs to change. Um, so we need to have, I think, a target for people who come from ethnic minority backgrounds, uh, but also uh, dedicated recruitment campaigns to encourage people, because we do need uh, a generation of young people growing up in Ireland who are people of colour to see black and brown school principals, judges, 
keen corolla perhaps in the future. Um, who knows? Uh, visibility uh, and opportunity is really important. So you hear that. We need to have a target for a generation of young people to grow up and basically see whites pushed out of every job. That's why everything they're doing is designed. The criminal justice policies, the immigration policies, it's all designed for that. I don't know if you guys saw this a couple months ago. Um, there is this German homeschooling family that that was being persecuted in Germany that the Biden administration was going to deport. <laughs> so, like, in case you thought this was just about kind of an ideological commitment to open borders as an end to itself, you know, by accident, you would kind of apply it evenly. But no. They'll deport. If they think that you're a threat to their system, they will deport you. They know how to turn on and off that spigot as needed. Again, with the growing anti-Semitism, and, and I'm going to you know play my Jew card here, you know, Republicans have no desire to push back on the war on whites in general. But at least the anti-Semitic part of it they should be able to use this as an opportunity to see, look, this is what we let into the country. According to that signal poll, the majority of Muslims support Hamas on some level. And this is what we're seeing where Jews aren't safe on American college campuses. So I just wanted to point out one thing. I, I've seen people debating this, and I want to make this you know abundantly clear. We need to immediately authorize states state government so people like DeSantis could go and deport all of the foreign students promoting Hamas. And people will be like, oh my gosh, that's a violation of the First Amendment. You do not have the right to remain in the country not in good standing with our values. I want to make something very clear. When we talk about First Amendment, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, that you have the right not to get punished for taking a position contrary to either the government's position or the majority of the people or you know what what the country's leadership views as offensive speech that just means you don't get punished you can't be fined and most importantly you can't be imprisoned but deportation is not a punishment it's a consequence of sovereignty that we could choose to allow or not allow in people for whatever reason we want, it could be discriminatory reasons, it could be capricious reasons, it could be good reasons, it could be dumb reasons. We could say we're not allowing in all people who are left-handed, people who have green eyes, people who have orange hair, people who subscribe to Sharia. It could be a good reason, it could be a prudent reason, it could be a, a dumb reason. And likewise, if we do allow you in, we could allow you in on such conditions as we set. This is as old as 1798. Justice James Erdell, one of the original Supreme Court members, probably the greatest founder from North Carolina. Any alien coming to this country must or ought to know that this being an independent nation, it has all the rights concerning the removal of aliens, which belong by the law of nations to any other. And while he remains in the country in the character of an alien, meaning he hasn't yet naturalized, he can claim no other privilege than such as an alien is entitled to, and consequently, whatever risk he may incur in that capacity is incurred voluntarily, with the hope that in due time, by his 
unexceptionable conduct, he may become a citizen of the United States. So in other words, a country could say, what we can't do is say, you know, you're, you're say, I love Hamas, so we're going to throw you in jail. But we can say goodbye. We don't want people like that. And indeed, for years, we did this with anarchists and communists. And to this day, we have some of that still codified in the INA, as it should be. It, it's kind of similar, you know, let's say, um, you know, I invite you into my house and you start being extremely belligerent and rude. What I can't do is beat you up and then lock you in the attic. But what I can do is push you out and say goodbye. And that's that's similar on a, on a national level. The famous Nishimura landmark case of 1892, the Supreme Court said, it is an accepted maxim of international law that every sovereign nation has the power as inherent in sovereignty and essential to self-preservation to forbid the entrance of foreigners within its dominions or to admit them only in such cases and upon such conditions as it may see fit to prescribe. So this plenary authority of national government to exclude individuals, again, for whatever reason, it also applies to the right to remove them under whatever circumstances and laws we want to make. So that that's the important thing to understand. A year later in Feng Yi Ting, 1893, the Supreme Court said the right of a nation to expel or deport foreigners who have not been naturalized or taken any steps towards becoming citizens of the country rests upon the same grounds and is as absolute and unqualified as the right to prohibit and prevent their entrance into the country. So, so again, the same way we, you know, we could make any rule who we want to let in or not let in, just because we let them in, if they're not a citizen yet, you could say goodbye. Now, again, you can't imprison them. But that that's the story. Because imprisoning someone is different than repatriating them to their country of origin. I can't deprive you of your life and liberty. But I could say, you know, live out your life and liberty to your heart's content in, in, in your country of nationality. Oh, well, I want to live here. Okay, well, that's your desire, but, you know, you're not a citizen yet. And that's our prerogative to decide whether we want you here. The court continued, quote, the order of deportation is not a punishment for a crime. It's not a banishment in the sense in which that word is often applied to the expulsion of a citizen from his country by way of punishment. It is but a method of enforcing the return to his own country of an alien who has not complied with the conditions upon the performance of which the government of the nation acting within its constitutional authority and through the proper departments, has determined that his continuing to reside here shall depend. He has not, therefore, been deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process or law, and the provisions of the Constitution securing the right of trial by jury and prohibiting unreasonable searches and seizures and cruel and unusual punishments have no application. There's no First or Fifth Amendment there. You know, goodbye. You know, just here you go. We won't even... Put handcuffs on you. If you want to voluntarily depart, go ahead. And um, look, I mean, I mean, we, we have laws on the books. 8 U.S.C. 1182A3B7. If you want to look it up. Bars the entry to anyone who, quote, endorses or espouses 
terrorist activity or persuades others to endorse or espouse terrorist activity or support a terrorist organization. So a lot of people are jumping on Ron DeSantis's case. Oh, you know, I'm all for fighting Islamists, but his First Amendment. There's no First Amendment when he says you're you'll be on the next plane back if you're here on a foreign student as a foreign you know student on a visa. That actually is literally current law. Um, it's literally current law. When you chant from the river to the sea and intifada, all this stuff they're doing, I mean, that that applies for it. Now, this is obviously a little bit more complicated, needs a little bit more due process, due diligence, but there is another step even for naturalized citizens. So a naturalized citizen ultimately is like a natural-born citizen, but there is one exception in the sense that if you could prove, and, and here the burden of proof would be on the government, that the naturalization was done fraudulently, that at the time they supported terrorism, you could actually denaturalize them and then remove them. In other words, someone working for the Muslim Brotherhood cannot possibly utter a valid oath to abjure all allegiance to foreign powers and to support and defend the constitutional laws of the United States against all enemies foreign domestic. But whatever, I mean, that's that's neither here nor there. And as we bring on Todd Benzman to just have a sort of presentation on the sort of garbage we're bringing into this country, I want to read to you from Theodore Sedgwick. He's a congressman from Massachusetts during the 1790 Naturalization Act debate in the United States House. He said the following... The citizens of America preferred this country because it is to be preferred. The like principle he wished might be held by every man who came from Europe to reside here. But there was at least some grounds to fear the contrary. Their sensations, impregnated with prejudices of education, acquired under monarchical and aristocratical governments, may deprive them of that zest for pure republicanism which is necessary in order to taste its beneficence with that gratitude which we feel on the occasion. <laughs> is it too much to ask that we keep out those impregnated with prejudices of jihad, genocide, and barbaric Jew hatred? That's the speech and the legislation that Republicans need to push right now. Again, you know, it's not just about, you know, what, what we've learned about Israel, it's not just about Israel. The ubiquitous uprisings in every Western country now, shouting jihad and genocide and debt to the Jews, is just as much of a story as the massacre in Israel itself by Hamas. That should be the story. And, you know, again, I mean, it's you're not doing Israel any favors by... By ignoring this, you're not certainly not doing American Jews favor, favors by it. But ultimately, this is everyone's problem. And we got to stop this before it's too late. At least the saturation in red states, the blue states are already, I mean, they're already Islamic, taken over. But let's talk about the degree of problems we're having and how this is being ignored by most Republicans, at least. So, folks, whenever we discuss the nexus between immigration, borders, and national security, 
I think of one man, and that's Todd Benzman, become really a a, a fellow traveler with me. Um, so so many so much information. I can't even consume all of his work. You got to go to toddbenzman.com because he writes a lot of different columns, different places, but it's all there. Um, he's obviously senior national security fellow for Center for Immigration Studies. Um, he has his new book is Overrun, but you might want to also catch his old book, America's Covert Border War, talking about these SIAs, the people from North Africa and the Middle East that used to be all right. You see a few here or there, but we always wondered if there's really more. Now it's just straight up out in the open. You could see it on the cameras. You could see it on the videos just marching in from Senegal, from the Middle East. And, uh, you know, no one seems to care. This is really bizarre. So with us today is Todd in the flesh, as well as in the book, and also on Twitter, at Benzman Todd on Twitter. Hey, Todd, thanks so much for joining us again today. Great to be here. Thanks. All right. So, you know, we're watching what's happening with Israel. We saw this savage massacre on par with the Holocaust. Uh, you got Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, saber-rattling there in the north. You have this rabid Muslim rioting throughout every Western country, including the U.S. And then we look at our border, and then we look at our visa system. Put that all together for me, Todd. Um, I would love to think that, hey, you know, this is kind of a Gaza problem. But when I see this chanting from the river to the sea in every college campus and you know pretty large numbers in places like los angeles and chicago and even places in texas we don't haven't we brought the problem here well it's a good it's a this is a good question to study right now because our border is actually overrun with uh immigrants from all over the world more than uh 45 percent of everybody reaching that border is not from Mexico or Central America. They're from 160, 170 other countries. And the Biden administration is inviting uh, thousands of people from the Middle East to cross legally, I put that in quotes, over the bridges, over the land ports. I just reported last or earlier this week that, you know, from FOIA records that we got, that about 7,300 people from 24 terrorism countries were invited to cross the bridges and escorted over right into the country with very little vetting. People from Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan, all the South uh, uh, Asian countries, Pakistan, Afghanistan, uh, Morocco, Sudan, Mauritania, uh, uh, just about um, you know, 24 of the 35 listed countries that are designated of terrorism concern. Uh, Senator Grassley, to his credit, has uh, read my work and penned a demand letter uh, for information about all of these, uh, they call them special interest aliens that they've invited and what vetting they've done, but also the tens of thousands that have crossed illegally over the border from that. From, that, from those regions, including Jordan, Lebanon, and Iran, uh, have all been crossing through the southern border. I don't know about uh, Gazans because they don't list them like that. They'll list them as some other nationality like Turks or whatever. But the problem here is 
that the war in Israel is emotional uh, to people from those countries, to Muslims who are crossing over. It can be very, very emotional. Uh, when <laughs> That's they see, way of putting it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you can see in the video what I mean by that, by all, all the video, the screaming and the ranting and their raging that's going on. And those are the people from those countries are, are, are feeling that. And whether they come over as an organized cell to do something, uh, I think that's quite possible. I think the bigger threat, though, is you know one-offs, lone offender types yes. that are coming over the border that see that the Americans are supporting Israel, uh, that the government is, and just go off the deep end and start uh, you know shooting or taking a vehicle and running people over at Christmas and you know something like that, just like an impulsive compulsive rage of an attack and that they'd come over the border because we we're not even really vetting who they are. Uh, and then there is a prospect. I don't want to overstate it that it could be an organized entry over the border by a group in onesies and twosies that get together later and decide on, uh, on a target list that is not out of the realm of possibility I say that because we just finished a federal prosecution of an Iraqi in Ohio named Shihab Sh- Ahmed Shihab, who I've written extensively about this case. I think I'm the only one who's written about this case who, during the investigation, claimed that he had already brought in two Hezbollah operatives over the border, and he was bringing four al-Qaeda guys in to murder George W. Bush here in Texas, where I live, and uh, was thankfully caught. But he was the, the plot is laid out in the court records where they, they were bringing uh, them in from uh, with the, the help of Qataran money through Brazil, through the Darien Gap, through just the regular trails that I've been on and that we always talk about. And they were going to cross him over the border, and he was going to have weapons ready for them, and they were going to go kill George W. Bush. That tells us that the bad guys know what's going on at our border. And I'll just leave it at that for now. There's no way they don't. I mean, and that's that's the thing. When you have all the impoverished people coming in, you have these people coming in too. But what you're reporting on is that in addition to the spike in apprehensions of people from these countries at the border, you have the CBP-1 app where they brought in basically 250,000 people from all over the world. Yes. And you found 7,300 were from what the country, what we designate as SIA. So they say they're interviewed by the FBI. But here's my question for you. Now, aside from the fact that, in my view, we shouldn't be letting these people anyway, but aside from that, I don't understand what is what there is to vet. A lot of these countries we don't have relations with. Like, you know, Syria we're at war with, and they're 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 war torn anyway. And then also, it's just like I'm watching these people. Look at the London rally, about 100,000 of them there rampaging like, you know, genocidal slogans about Jews. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, even if you have Interpol or something like that, you could say, oh, well, this guy doesn't have a criminal record. But it's not going to vet that out. Exactly. Uh, You know, I've reported extensively the CBP-1 app was sold to the American public. Mayorkas got up on the stage. The president has talked about this. Harris has talked about this, Kamala, uh, that, you know, that there's this incredible vetting that goes on. If you, if you, we bring you through a bridge 
over a bridge through a, a land port or we fly you in from your home country, which we've done 220,000 of those at least. Uh, I think it's probably a good bit more than that through August. Uh, another 250,000 we've let in over the, the ports of entry. And they brag about, about the vetting that they do. And the vetting that they do consists of this. They run, they take biometrics, photos, and fingerprints. You get those submitted, and then they run those through, and the name with the date of birth, proven, I guess, by birth certificate, they run those through a set of databases. And if you come back clean, you're in. Oh. Well, if you've, never, <laughs> if you've never been inside the U.S. to commit a crime, they're not going to find it. If you're from a country like Venezuela or Haiti, they're not going to find it because those countries don't cooperate with, with us or they're incapable of keeping records. Haiti's a failed state. Uh, but think about Mauritania, Senegal, uh, you know, Morocco. Uh, we're not doing intelligence checks with them. We're not able to call the Iranians and ask them to do <laughs> us a solid uh, on this guy that we caught we're not going to be able to call the Syrian government, the Assad government, who you know, we've opposed for years, and we call them a state terror, sponsor of terrorism. They're not doing us a solid on their Syrians crossing in either. And that's the problem with the vetting. And Grassley's office, if you read his letter, I've got it up on my site, toddbinsman.com, and it's also in the New York Post. I just wrote a story about the Grassley letter. He's recognizing this. And demanding to know, he wants answers by November 10th, exactly what the administration has been doing to vet the people they're bringing over the bridges and SIAs who are just crossing illegally. Because by all indications, from I've been down there, I've met these people in airports and interviewed them. And, they, and I ask them, has anybody ever questioned you eyeball to eyeball? No. I've never been interviewed by anybody. They let us go 24 hours after I got in, and here I am in the Phoenix Sky Harbor Wait, Airport. So you're saying they didn't even do an FBI interview? No, they're not. How can they? They've had the Daily Caller uh, just reported that 75,000 SIAs have come over the border in like less than a year. Usually 3,000 or 4,000 SIAs, that's the normal. Yeah. And they can't even get to all of them. I know that because I used to do those interviews when I was working intelligence. And the reason I did them is because I was trying to help them out. They couldn't get them all. For Texas. You were doing it for, for, Te for Texas. For Texas. Yes. I had my, my whole team was going in and interviewing SIAs to, to, to help close the gap a little bit. And I can tell you that you know we there, there were thousands even then that were going uninterviewed. Imagine 75,000 crossing – uh, at a time, they're not even. They don't even care. They're just letting them through. Nothing's happening with any of them, uh, other than maybe a database check, which I I wonder if he, that's even being done. Grassley's demanding answers. He's got his whole oversight team on this thing, and he's the kind of guy, and his team is the kind. They're not going to just take uh, uh, it being ignored as an answer. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch that. So what scares me is whenever I see a certain region that starts spiking, that, that, that there's a sudden spike. And, you know, again, it used to be extra continentals were kind of here and there. And now you have entire caravans of them 
very large numbers. What is up with the Western Horn of Africa? It just seems like there's a lot coming from there. And we view them as Africans. They are Africans. But, you know, a place like Senegal is almost all Muslim. What are these people like? Have you met them? Why are they coming? Yes, I have met them. I've met, I've met and interviewed all of them. I've probably met and interviewed, you know, Africans from 15 or 20 different countries. And what they tell me is uh, we heard that, that the Americans are letting everybody in. So, you know, we thought that we would just come because we know that if we spend this money, they're going to let us in on smuggling. It's, it's really not that more complicated than that. They want to live in the United States and earn more money. Uh, there's nothing wrong with um, Senegal. It's actually a pleasant country with a pretty good standard of living. There's not a lot of government persecution. Senegal is a, but it's a terrorist, you know, I mean, it's in the Sahel Desert. It's, there's a lot of terrorism uh, problems in those areas. You got these ISIS sort of organizations that have now, you know, you know, even as they filtered out of the Middle East, they're, they've, they've gone, largely gone to Africa, especially the Sunni terrorist groups. Um, and yeah, they're coming over. Another area I want to talk about is because you've done extensive reporting on this. The largest numbers of SIAs that were brought through the front door, the CBP one app, you know, they, they, they applied straight up and 99% or so were let in were from these caucus areas, the former Soviet, uh, states that are very much Muslim areas, the, the Uzbekistan, uh, Kyrgyzstan. I, I've been briefed on this before that you have a dynamic playing out in some of those countries where they're Muslim, but the leadership, they're very strong arm and they clamp down and almost, so to speak, persecute radical Islamists. Who's to say we're not getting those that are, I mean, I want to say persecuted by people there that don't want to put up with the jihad that they know we're more hospitable in the West to, to that way of thinking. Well, first of all, that's an excellent, excellent point, and you are 100% correct. In the caucus countries, those states, the leaderships are working with the United States to crack down on jihadist groups. They've been doing that for quite a few years. They're arresting them. They're putting them in prison. There's a lot of uh, chasing and you know cops and robber stuff that's going on in, in these places and so so that to me raises the very real prospect that the ones that are coming are the ones that are fleeing those crackdowns like the Zarnayev brothers well yeah for one of them uh, went there and uh, hung out in Dagestan with jihadist groups out in the mountains uh, and he came back, but you know he was a U.S. I think he was already had uh, citizenship. Uh, but but the point the point here, I think the larger point here is that they're strangers. We just don't know whether the they're the persecuted or the persecutors, or you know people that because we're not we're not really doing vetting. We don't know who they are after even after we release them and. One of the one of the points of light, I think, in the Grassley letter is he's saying he's demanding to know how many or how the government tracks them after we let them go. What are you doing to track them 
uh, because we know that the administration pretty much doesn't track anybody. They don't know where anybody is. They get bogus addresses, 1234 Main Street. Uh, there was a big OIG report about that just recently that, you know, they're, the, the required verified addresses in the U.S. are not verified at all and don't even exist. Or go to, you know, Chuck E. Cheese or, you know, something like, you know, a library or something. So I think, you know, that's a pertinent point, too, that, you know, we're letting in all these Senegalese and Mauritanians and people from, uh, you know, Morocco and Sudan and, and Egypt and Jordan and Iran and everything else. And we don't know where they are. Uh, so he's demanding, the senator's demanding an accounting of that. What are you doing to track them afterwards? Are you giving them leg monitors? Are you giving them any kind of phone monitors or any any way to track them at all? We just don't know at this point. I mean, you look at this dynamic, you take everything together, the amount we let in through the front door, whether it's uh, green cards to uh, nationals of these countries, which I've added up to roughly 100,000 and likely another roughly 100,000 student visas uh, from these countries if you add them up. Then you got now the CBP-1 app and then the land border. How is it that we don't become Europe? I mean, you look at all of Europe's problems now with the, like we like to say, the cultural enrichment that they're experiencing, uh, of which anti-Semitism is a huge part of it. How do we not have that problem here? And, and you know, I'm sure you saw those vid- videos from Dagestan. There's something about those areas where, again, the governments might clamp down on them, but among the people, boy, do they hate Jews. That's right. It, it's inculcated in... Uh, Muslims in these foreign countries from birth to from cradle to grave. Uh, it's in the media. It's in the mosques. They're taught that Israel is evil, that Jews are uh, the devil incarnate. Uh, and then they come over the border here. And, you know, we just there are there is reporting, uh, not detailed reporting by the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, which is a liberal organization. Uh, that actually supports illegal immigration. <laughs> uh, but to their credit, they did do uh, come out with a big report just recently that anti-Semitic uh, activity is up by 300%, the reports of attacks all over the country. They, they don't say who's doing the attacks is the problem. Yes. So, so, somehow most of them they don't make appear it, to be white. Yeah, I mean, they make it seem like this is white supremacy, but – <laughs> I don't think that it, that the white supremacists are all the ones doing this. So, no, and I don't uh, think they've increased in numbers. You know, the the three people in some obscure area that that their numbers went to four. I mean, the New York Times talked about this openly a couple of years back. If you remember, in New York City, you had all these knockout attacks. Now that was probably more domestic among the black population there, which was a little bit inconvenient for them. But but here, I mean, to import. You know, that's really the lesson when you when you look at both the Gazans and then the ubiquitous support and spontaneous support all over these Western countries. It has nothing to do with a piece of land, right? It's not like you're fighting over Crimea or Donetsk in eastern Ukraine. 
this is like, it's about Jews. I mean, that's that's clearly what it is. So it's not like, all right, you know, you're into to, to Gaza, you feel Israel shouldn't exist, but you come to America and you kind of stop caring about that stuff. No, I mean, it's they, they have a problem with Jews. And, um, you know, we're now at the point where Jews have a very difficult time living in Europe. And... No one's explaining to me how we prevent America from becoming like that. I, I, I appreciate Grassley's letter, but ultimately we need a budget fight on this to defund the CBP-1 app and all this stuff in the catch and release because, I mean, Todd, could you just paint a picture for me? I know we talked a lot about Colony Ridge and things like that, but if, if you have uh, – your own colleagues are reporting this. I'm, I'm looking on your website, Art Arthur – um, you got they they think about 1.4 million were released just last fiscal year, and then I, I estimate probably about six to seven hundred thousand more gotaways, which would take it to two million in one year, and and almost as many the previous year too. What does that even look like? Well, you know, there's very very little media reporting in the interior of the country. You mentioned Colony Ridge. Uh, you know, that's one in Texas, in the, in rural Texas, about 40 miles northeast of Houston, where, you know, there's a developer up there who's selling thousands and thousands of acres to mostly illegal immigrants. Uh, and that's, you know, it has all sorts of problems, of course, which I've reported, but, you know, for the, for the, you know, in the main uh, there's very little reporting about the interior impacts other than you can see in Chicago that they're just writing about, well, where are we going to put all these people and how are we going to pay for it and how the black community is mad that all the money's going to illegal immigrants. But, but the Daily Mail just came out with a piece yesterday uh, reporting about a place called Via Dallas, which oh. are – which are and also one in Miami and, and Chicago, where Venezuelan gangs uh, that had come over the border are wreaking absolute havoc night after night after night, criminal havoc in these areas. Uh, that's the Daily Mail, which is a British publication. They've got a, a, a U.S. <laughs> online, but I mean, it takes the foreign press to come in and report on this stuff. Uh, that's, that's what really needs to be done because the consequences of being overrun like this with hundreds and hundreds of thousands a month coming in and being allowed in two million, three million a year, uh, is transformative. It, it just is. You really can't is. get away. You can't get away with, look, it, you know, we're, ha we have now coming over the border. Uh, September was our first real indication of what's happening. That is so ramped up now. It's so supercharged. Uh, the intelligence community predicted that this would happen after Title 42 ended. The uh, intel community said anywhere from 12 to 18,000 a day would be coming in. We're in that bracket now, right now. It's un unfathomable, and there's no way you don't have more of these transnational gang no-go zones there's no way, and I'm, I'll have to take a look at that article. I'm glad you uh, 
studied that for our audience because that's something that needs to be pointed out. Colony Ridge is probably the tip of the iceberg. What you discovered there, um, wrote about in your book, Overrun as well. Um, before I let you go, I'd just be remiss not to revisit what you and I often discussed last decade. You know, even before the Biden administration, we had an open border, both uh, at the border and both just a very generous visa system and growing increasingly from the Middle East the last few decades. Um, when Hezbollah threatens that, you know, we support Israel, we're going to be in trouble, they don't mean that they're going to have a military or an air force and navy and come over here. They, they mean their operatives here. Discuss just what you feel the assessment is watching, you know, Israel basically in a death match with them now, what the consequences are for their operatives here and what sort of plans they might have with Hezbollah Unit 910 uh, you know, operating in the United States. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, a few years ago, uh, there were there were some federal prosecutions in Michigan and New York of Unit 910 operatives that we discovered. Uh, a Unit 910 operatives are placed here by Hezbollah for the purpose of creating target lists and building the capability to hit those targets when they are ordered to from Tehran or Beirut. <clears throat> those two operatives, I wrote a three-part series based on all the court records that came out about what they do, how, how they're equipped, trained, armed, uh, and where they are. They're all over America. Uh, the, the prosecutors in that case published actual FBI 302 interviews and they put that stuff with some redactions in the court record. They wanted America to know what was going on with this. So I wrote a three-part series. That is on my website. You can find it in the bottom right uh, corner under uh, Unit 910 Hezbollah, it says. But that said, uh, the pur their purpose is to be activated to kill in the United States and to pose a threat inside the United States when we're doing something that they don't like, what might be the thing that we're doing right now that they don't like? We moved in uh, aircraft uh, carriers into the Mediterranean, into the uh, into the uh, sea off the coast of Beirut uh, to pose a threat to Hezbollah to tell them that if you start firing rockets and you get too engaged with uh, Israel on the northern border. Uh, we are going to pummel you. We may get involved militarily. And that's really what the threat here is. And in the meantime, we're still just supporting Israel in other ways with missile interception uh, systems, uh, you know, Iron Dome, et cetera. So there is a real threat that those, that those cells inside the United States could be activated even if we don't send the aircraft in or the SEAL teams or the Marines we have an expeditionary marine force just off the coast of uh, Lebanon. So that's really what's at stake here uh, for us in the homeland. Wow. That, that is a lot to think about, especially when we watch thousands of people in Dearborn, Shiite Muslims, um, chanting from the river to the sea. Again, you got to wonder how many operatives are there. Like you said, there's been some court cases. I followed one in New Jersey last decade um the sophistication is is unbelievable the the way they're able to use our immigration system uh come here from yes. lebanon 
is a lot of them came from Lebanon. It's just it's just unbelievable. And remember, uh, the case I mentioned earlier in this call, Shihab Ahmed Shihad, that guy uh, boasted to an undercover FBI agent that he had already brought in two Hezbollah operatives over the border. There's not much more information about that. But Lebanese are being brought in by the Biden administration over the bridges. Iranians have been invited and escorted over the bridges as well. So, you know, who are they? Uh, that's that's this is really uh, an issue. If I was the clandestine, you know, spy arm of any government in the world, I would be sending my people over the border right now. It'd be stupid to not do that. Well, they're they're hanging the Betsy Ross flag outside their apartment in, in Dearborn when they come here. I mean, I mean that that's what's just so sad about this. I mean, it's just so so sad, uh, so dysfunctional. We have you know the congressional Republicans are just not focused. Um, but thank you for focusing some, and at least you got Grassley to write that letter. Um, your work is really penetrating, and it and it, it's a must follow. Toddbensman.com is a clearinghouse for all this. Check out the books on Amazon. Overrun. Um, as well as the older book, America's Covert Border War, that's becoming pretty overt now, uh, but it's a one-sided war. Todd, thanks so much for coming back, and we're going to have you on very soon. I appreciate it. We are so screwed, folks. I mean, I don't even know what to say after that. It's worse than we think. It's worse than we even delved into. It's really bad. I mean, I mean, th- this has been the violation of the social compact way before Biden, by the way. We've just openly let these people in. And, and and the thing is, they wait until they reach critical mass. They know the sentiment in America is not quite like Europe, so they're not as bold about it. But, I mean, look, the Muslim Brotherhood in Hamas has been operating, that is the Muslim Brotherhood, for uh, for decades. Uh, organizations like, uh, you know, MPAC and, and CARE. And, yeah, I mean, we've we've known this forever, and we don't do anything about it. Because we have an FBI that's more at war with our people than at war with the true enemy. You, you even wonder if there is a solution. If we're, we are so overrun. If there's, you know, are we just a maggot-infested carcass? And, which I think we are. And, and, and ultimately the question is, are there just places within the country that we could still salvage? That we don't have too much of this and we, we make sure we get authority. I don't, not that I think we need it, but grab it to uh, have states do deportations and start removing the problems, remove the Islamic people, no no Muslim immigration. I mean, it's that simple. It is not my problem that they hate me. Okay? I, I have no... Believe me, inherently, I would rather deal with people that believe in a monotheistic religion, will fight the homosexual agenda. I'd rather them than American pagans on paper. But it's not my fault. They... They want to kill. So what am I supposed to do? You know, it's not my job to say, oh, well, well, 70% harbor these sentiments. 30% would actually support killing you. Well, you know, you can't let that in. It's done. It's done. And we need to find a way to make some sort of red state, two-state solution here. Um, have one Islamic state uh, and the other one is is free and American. Let me know your thoughts. We'll delve into this and other issues some domestic issues as well further later this week daniel herwitz at startmail.com is the email at arm conservative is the twitter please give us a five-star rating on itunes 
if you like what we do here as opposed to the uh, empty uh, nonsense of debating Ron DeSantis' height. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening. Thank you.